Hey, what's up? It's comedian Roy Wood Jr. You're listening to PF's tape recorder cassette device machine ribbon. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Alex Stone tells us about some of the comedians that influenced him early on. Uh, I think he's someone whose fans outgrew him uh, a little bit. I also think, I'm, I would agree with you that he gets a lot of unfair criticism. Find out who those comedians are in just a bit. Rush Limbaugh knows he says racist things. What are you going to do about it? But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. President Barack Obama, in a State of the Union address on Tuesday, called for a universal free community college, guaranteed paid sick leave, and more tax hikes on the wealthy, using his bully pulpit to set policy markers that presidential candidates and both parties must now react to. Obama also proposed unilateral repeal of all airline baggage fees, mandatory dollar beer Tuesdays at all U.S. bars and restaurants, and the return of Joss Whedon's Firefly to television. Afterwards, Republicans questioned why the president would want to hurt struggling wealthy people. Russia hit back on Wednesday at President Barack Obama's State of the Union speech, saying it showed the United States believes it is number one and seeks world domination. GOP leaders were quick to rush to the president's defense, saying, no, he doesn't think the U.S. is number one. And he's a socialist, so you guys should like him. Former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee disputed what he called the notion of judicial supremacy on Tuesday, arguing states should have the final say on gay marriage, regardless of whether the Supreme Court rules that same-sex couples have a constitutional right to marry, apparently forgetting what the word supreme means. During his weekly radio show in Wisconsin, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers said that his belief is that God doesn't care who wins or loses a football game. I don't think God cares a whole lot about the outcome, he said in response to a fan's question on the subject. He cares about the people involved, but I don't think he's a big football fan. And then there are those of us, of course, who believe that God hates the Cleveland Browns. Al Gore warned of climate change denial in the oil sector at a summit of business chiefs on Wednesday. The former U.S. vice president and climate campaigner flagged up the risks of unburnable carbon at the World Economic Forum in Davos. One oil company representative, though, refuted Gore's claims, citing the fact that it snowed in many parts of the world last week. And finally, Bill Riley's verdict on the warning by Paris Mayor Anne Hidalgo that her city may sue Fox News. O'Reilly, Fox's highest-paid host, addressed the lawsuit threat on the Tuesday night edition of his program. It was the day's only mention of the threat on Fox. Among O'Reilly's points, uh, the mayor is a socialist. Fox isn't even seen in France because they block it. And this is an attention-getter. Then O'Reilly accused Hidalgo of uh, playing to the left and added, This suit's going nowhere. It's ridiculous. Now excuse me while I enjoy some freedom fries. And that's been Fake News with me. This happened a few weeks ago, so it's kind of out of the news cycle, but it still fascinates me. Rush Limbaugh is upset, you see. She suggested that when Daniel Craig's run as James Bond is over, and this is it, this is contractually his last film, she suggested... Rush is talking about an executive at Sony Pictures, and this came out as part of the email hacking scandal over there. A new James Bond. And I'm not sure how you pronounce the guy's name. Idris Elba is what it looks like on paper. Idris Elba, 
uh, who is, well, I can't say African-American because he's British, African-English, right? African-Brit. A black man playing James Bond. This does not sit well with Rush. And James Bond is a, is a total concept put together by Ian Fleming. He was white and Scottish. James Bond is not a brother, all right? Are we straight? Okay. Then Rush goes on to make this ridiculous comparison. Okay, fine. Let's play a little game. How about in the movie, we know we're going to get one. How about in the movie about the Obamas? Because there's going to be one. How about George Clooney play Obama and Kate Hudson play Michelle Mybell Obama? How's that? How would that do? And a la Jim Rome, he goes on with this premise forever. Uh, what do you say? We got Colin Powell. Wait, maybe Colin Powell is played by you know, some, you know, any list some white actor. And now you're thinking to yourself at this point, uh, if you have any kind of smarts, gee, what's the difference between Barack Obama and James Bond? Hmm, let me think. Oh, yeah, one of them is a made-up guy, and one of them's real. Okay. Oh, and by the way, speaking of uh, white folks uh, playing black folks, in, in the case of President Obama, I'd like you to listen to this. Tonight, I am here to talk to you about the grave state of the American economy. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to dumb it down. That's uh, Fred Armisen doing a Barack Obama impression. And uh, there was a tiny bit of blowback on that because I, there wasn't uh, an African-American performer, I believe, on Saturday Night Live or one that could do, uh, I guess, as good an Obama impression. So there was a little bit of blowback on that, but not much. People were like, yeah, we like Fred Armisen. Uh, that's cool. And uh, now listen to this. No, I've said in the beginning I'm not going to run that kind of campaign. Uh, it's divisive. Uh, we have seen too much division in this country. I will bring groups together. That is the brilliant Mike McRae in a clip I uh, snipped from the Bob and Tom show. You can usually hear Mike McRae, though, on the Jimmy Dore show doing all kinds of great impressions, uh, including a spot-on impression of Herman Cain. Because as I have pointed out in the past, all these people making laws don't seem to care about the Constitution. We need to reread the Constitution and know what it says. We know that it says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that if this government turns out to be a tyranny, feel free to ignore the laws. And by the way, to give you an idea of how good an impression of Herman Cain that is, my father lives in Florida where talk radio is very popular, conservative talk radio. And he was driving around one day and he heard uh, what he thought was Mike McRae doing Herman Cain. He's laughing. He's going, oh, this is great. The Jimmy Dore show is on now in Florida. No, it was the real Herman Cain saying a bunch of crazy stuff. Okay. Oh, this is, this is a lot of fun. So let me do one more for you here. He's perfectly all right. It was a stunning device. Starbuck, they are children. That's an actor named Terry Carter playing Colonel Ty from Battlestar Galactica TOS, the original series, if you're not familiar with the parlance. Although I think, um, actually, uh, TOS is only used by Star Trek people to describe the original Star Trek series. Actually, that is uh, referred to as Battlestar Galactica Classic, I believe. Anyway, uh, Colonel Ty in the original Battlestar Galactica is black. And uh, played by Terry Carter, who now produces movies, by the way. He's had a very successful career uh, behind the camera. But anyway, so uh, Terry Carter plays Colonel Ty in the 1978 version of Battlestar Galactica, but... Viewing time at the zoo. My name is Saul Ty. I am an officer in the Colonial Fleet. Colonel Saul Ty from the reboot of Battlestar Galactica from 2004. Uh, the series ended in 2009. That is actor Michael Hogan, a white man 
playing a Colonel Todd. They also took uh, uh, Starbuck and made him uh, took him from being a white man to a white lady, and uh, the uh, the very lovely Katie Sackett, by the way. So I think that worked out pretty well if you're a science fiction nerd. Um, so anyway, so yeah, uh, Rush's Limbaugh is is complete uh, BS, and he even says this in the middle of his rant. And I know it's racist to probably even point this out. But I'm going to anyway because I'm a wealthy white man with a huge radio audience and who the hell's going to stop me? Well, look at the bright side. At least he got one thing right in that rant. Hey folks, remember this? Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this? We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out, and when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. Merry-go-round. Unique fashions for guys and gals. And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at homeshirts.com. Alex Stone is a comedian from Cincinnati, Ohio, currently based in Chicago, Illinois, soon to be based in New York City. He'll be recording his very first album at Go Bananas Comedy Club in Cincinnati, Ohio, January 29th through the 31st. Here now is our interview with Alex Stone. Okay, joining us on PF Tape Recorder is the return of Alex Stone. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Okay, so the big news, of course, is you are recording your first CD. I am, yeah, yeah, and uh, in two weeks, I think, at this point. Okay, and uh, so, I mean, how does a, a comic decide that, yes, now is the time to record the first CD? Do you just get to it? Because, you know, if, like any artist, you can keep doing things and doing things and think, well, it's not quite done yet. This joke doesn't, you know, quite hit hard enough yet. Or do you get to a point where, yet yeah, it's done and it's ready to go? Uh, I think I uh, fall into the, uh, what would you call it, the, well, the first thing you said. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know when you decide when the time is right. I think it's different for everybody. I, uh, I've i waited a while. I've been doing this a while. Um, I wanted to uh, put out something that was good. I didn't want to just be someone who was just putting out something for the sake of putting out an album. I, yeah. I, I didn't really want to be one of those guys. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I I like to keep writing, uh, keep making things as good as they can be. Uh, but the way I, I guess to answer your question, the way I came to decide to put it out now was I had spent the last two years in Chicago, and everything that's going to be on this album, besides I want to say one or two jokes I wrote while I was in Chicago. Okay. And I'm getting ready ready to move to New York, so I don't know. It just felt like. Uh, uh, you know, I'm about to be done with this material. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of this material. I think it's, you know, I mean, just by nature of, you know, doing comedy, it's the best that I've done so far. So, and uh, a few good things have happened to me last year, career-wise, and I thought, you know, 
this now now's a good time to put it out. It sounds like it. Yeah, you made the big announcement uh, actually when we were doing the uh, live version of the podcast at the Bruhaha Comedy Festival that uh, you were going to be moving to New York. And uh, so, when's that going to take place? But, you know, that's not actually going to to take place until April first. That's when my sublet starts. So okay. I will be li- I'll be living in Cincinnati uh, with my girlfriend, just saving some money and uh, doing some road stuff, recording the album, taking care of a few things like that. Until then, but uh, yeah, April, April first, early April. That's the the date of the moon. All right, man. And be hang out with your old buddy Sam Evans, and uh... yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where I'll be living. His roommate it worked out perfectly. His roommate. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Um, is moving out, so I'm just taking over his room. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, wow. yeah, just reunited. Well, there you have it. All right. So, uh, well, let's go back to the beginning for the sake of the podcast listener. Even though you were on, I guess, uh, a year and a half ago before a Christmas set you were doing, and then uh, on the uh, the live version of Brouhaha we did, but of course we just played some a silly game and talked about uh, Chicago and your brother who likes to kiss boys. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're from the suburbs of Cincinnati, ostensibly. And um, yeah. so at, at what are you interested in comedy as a, as a, a young child uh, watching it on TV, or does it, you know, you're just kind of a funny kid and people you kind of get noticed as the funny guy, or how does that happen? I think it was a combination of both. I didn't watch comedy as a young, <coughs> excuse me, as a young kid. Uh, I started watching it more in high school. I had a friend, my friend Jen Connerman, uh, who introduced me to Mitch Hedberg and Brian Regan, um, and uh, and I ended up uh, would stay up real late at night, and Comedy Central would run marathons of their half hour. Yeah, uh, and just like through the night. So I guess because it was cheap for them to do, and I would watch those all night long, and that's where I kind of fell in love with it. Um, and but as a kid, I, I guess that I was a funny kid. I remember specifically having a moment in I want to say seventh or eighth grade where I don't even know what was said or what happened, but I vividly remember a girl laughing and then looking at me and going, "You're funny," and that was like the first moment that I re- like I don't know that it occurred to me that who I was was maybe a funny person, and uh-huh. I think. Just a collection of those things kind of led me to where I am now. So, did you gravitate toward any one kind of humor? Because for me, growing up, it was kind of the smart alecky Letterman, Hawkeye Pierce from Mash, kind of you know making a punchline to what people giving you a setup. Was there something that you were drawn to, or did you kind of like the variety? Uh, you know, early on, I think I was uh, more variety. I never really was drawn to one style starting out. Like my two favorite comedians when I started stand-up comedy were Mitch Hedberg and Dane Cook. And I don't know if that's the product of just the time that I started stand-up because both of those guys were very popular then, but uh, they're, they're polar opposites, I would say. Um, so I, I, I'm a fan of a lot of different kinds of humor, kinds of comedy. Um, starting out, though, I think I was more like kind of absurdy, weirder, more Hedbergy kind of joke-based. Uh, and now I've found myself with more of a storytelling uh, uh, in that arena, and uh, that is the kind of comedy that I'm drawn to now. Yes, I noticed you, you kind of uh, moved in that storytelling direction. Um, speaking now, Dane Cook and Mitch Hedberg, uh, polar opposites in terms of also how people have uh, viewed them overall in the comedy business. Hedberg, very revered. Dane Cook, yeah. polarizing. Uh, what drew you to Dane Cook? I'm curious, because I think that's a little beyond my generation. Although I don't think he's uh, worthy of a lot of the criticism that he's gotten, but what, what drew you to Dane Cook? 
Uh, you know, I think it was just that I was a teenager. Uh, uh-huh. I think all of his fans were very young. He was just like this kind of rock and roll uh, comedian. If you watch that first half hour that he did, he's wearing like a black wife beater and he's like baggy jeans. And I want to say that the background, back when they could pick their own backgrounds, was like a rock and roll, like a stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know. I just I, I enjoyed it. I thought whatever whatever I have not gone back and analyzed that much in my mind. Whatever it was, I was drawn to it. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I think he's someone whose fans outgrew him uh, a little bit. Um, I also think I'm, I would agree with you that he gets a lot of unfair criticism. I've made this comparison before. I think people who say that they don't like Dane Cook are people who say they don't like football, where it's that they don't dislike football because they don't watch it, they don't know enough about it to dislike it, but they don't like football's fans, those uh-huh. kind of loud, All the stuff obnoxious people. Yeah, yeah, the, fan, the fanfare and the pop and circumstance, and I think that was what people turned, what turned people off about Dan Cook, you know, he's just kind of this rocket ship of success. You mean he sold out Madison Square Garden yeah. in like less than 24 hours? And was like this loud, in-your-face kind of guy, and I think that turned a lot of people off. Uh, in combination with you know the fans that he had, with like these frat boy college kids and these loud you know girls, and it just uh, it all came crashing down. But I, I do think he gets an unfair, an unfair rap. Yeah, I, I heard all the criticism before I actually saw him, and then I saw the Madison Square Garden. Uh, show and I was like, well, I don't know if he's Madison Square Garden funny, but he's pretty funny. I remember the bit that stuck with me was the one about uh, Benson's Animal Farm, how his dad promised to take him and his uh, siblings to this uh, animal farm. And people say, oh, well, he's only a setups, but he didn't. It had a setup, it had a, 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 a middle, and then it had a punchline, a couple punchlines sure. actually. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, like you said, I people, mean, it wasn't it wasn't like your classic like Letterman Carson like here's this first sentence, second sentence, yeah. Punchline. It, but it was entertaining. I think that Absolutely. a lot of, you know, there is a, a a comedy police that wants comedy to be a certain way. It doesn't have to be. If, if you're entertaining and people find you funny, then you're doing something right. It may not be for you, but exactly. that it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you decide to have a go uh, at stand-up uh, long about, was it 2000, I want to say 2005-ish? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I think you would, your second time on stage was like my first time on stage, and uh, I remember oh, really? seeing you. Yeah, I, we did, yeah, I had we no dis- idea. Okay. Yeah, we discussed this before. I remember your joke that stuck out with me. Uh, I always remember like one joke from everybody, it seems, one, and yours was uh, the the ability of paper to cut people that was fascinated you, and that just stuck with me. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this guy, okay, this guy's yeah. onto something. Yeah, yeah, and um, but and that's the other thing about this, the uh, the pro am shows. I mentioned this before is that I always laugh at stuff that nobody else laughs at. Like uh, that, yeah. I famously uh, told Kelly Collette she did her joke about working at Steak and Shake, which is oh, they just gave up the punchline. She said, "I know what it's, what it's like to wear a uh, tie to work every day. I used to work at Steak and Shake, and I laughed out loud at that. And I told her later, yeah. you've got to do that joke again. And she did it again a couple weeks later, and she wrote me on Facebook that it bombed. So <laughs> don't listen to me, kids. That's the thing. If I think a joke of yours is funny, immediately remove it from your act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the you're the barometer. Uh, yeah. I, I've been there. I've told people that they should keep things, and then it's just died terrible deaths on stage. I feel. Yeah. I feel that's, terrible. That's, I feel like doing comedy this long. Though the things that I laugh at that no one else will laugh at is just if someone is is bombing. It's just to see to see someone who I know is funny uh, and I know is talented just uh, meet that situation where no one 
no one seems to agree with that assessment. Yeah. It's just very funny to me. Well, there's another uh, thing too, like uh, a case where people don't think something is going to work. Like uh, Tate's got that thing about uh, the two uh, steak sandwich places in Philadelphia. And he told me once, well, I can only do that in Philadelphia. And he did it once at an open mic here. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't, all you need to tell people is there's two steak sandwich places in Philadelphia. That's all they need to know. They don't need to know yeah, the yeah. back. I, that's all I know. I've never been to Philadelphia. I know I like me a good cheesesteak, but I've never been there and it was still hilarious. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Do you, do you have like a kind of uh, wrestle with yourself on some jokes or do you, do you try a joke a couple of different times? I know some guys will do that. They have like a, a, a three strike and it's out rule. Like they'll try it three times and if it just doesn't get anything, they just jettison it. Uh, I don't have a set rule like a number of times. I I mean, if I think something is very funny, it probably will get pushed longer than it should. In in living here in Chicago, there was the the what I got it down to was you have about there are so many open mics and so many comedians, you have about a week of time to figure something out if it's funny or not. You can go through all the open mics and all the shows for about one week and have new eyes and ears on it in that one week after that people are just going to stop listening to you and what you're saying because they've heard it before and now they're right. just bored um so i guess technically like I, if it didn't work within that week i would put it away and then maybe i would try it when i came back to cincinnati but okay uh probably more or less if it didn't work in a week then it was it was done now uh g- getting back to that uh first couple times on stage i think that same year you entered the funniest person in cincinnati and you got uh down to the finals didn't you uh, yeah, my first time on stage was in the Funniest Person in Cincinnati contest, and uh, I did. I made it. I advanced uh, into the finals. So my second time on stage ever was in the finals of that contest, and it didn't. The first time went well. The second time did not. Uh. Did not go well at all. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, then the next, the next one. I want to say it was the next one. I actually ended up winning, and that gave me the confidence to keep trying, keep doing whatever this is, keep doing comedy. Right, right. So you're how old at that, at that point when you win it? Who? Um, 20, okay. 20. So really, this, you're still young enough to, at, at that point where it's like, this this could actually be, I can pursue this as a career. You don't have to leave a career or, or leave something behind. Uh, you're still young enough in the game that you could, you know, uh, make a go of this without regrets. Is that what happened, or did you have some other thing you were going to do instead? Uh, I think it was. Uh, what happened was, is I dropped. I dropped out of high school when I was 18. Oh, really? um, So I had no real. I didn't really have a lot going on. My plan was when I dropped out uh, was I was going to take my GED, which I got. And there is a school, I don't know if you even could call it a school, it's like a workshop in Chillicothe, Ohio. It's like a, it's called the Recording Workshop. And my, my goal at the time was to go there and learn how to be like a studio engineer and okay. do like live sounds and recording. And I wanted to start my own record label. That was like the dream oh. at the time. But I, I mean, I dropped out, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily love going to school. So I was like, I'll take a year off. Uh, and just kind of float around, and that in that year is where I did stand up for the first time, and I enjoyed it, and I just kind of kept going with it, not like pursuing it seriously. Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't say I started pursuing it seriously up until about like four or five years ago, but for a while, just kind of you know doing it and doing it until, uh, like you said, I I I, I felt no pressure because I was so young and I didn't 
have anything else going on until I found myself at a place where I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm kind of backed into a corner here. This is my only option, and not necessarily in a negative way, but I was like, I have to, I have to do this, or it's, or it's nothing. So why'd you leave school? Were you just bored with it, or? I'm sorry. Why would you leave school? Were you just bored with it, or just? Uh, I went through uh, a pretty uh, big bout of depression and anxiety where I was going through that from about 8th grade to 11th grade. And in that period, I missed uh, just a tremendous amount of school. Wow. Um, I got like really, really far behind because I would just miss like, I would miss quarters at a time, just like that, that in that big of chunks. And, uh, once I got out, once I pulled myself out of it, uh, my big goal was to be able to walk with my graduating class in 04. And for that to happen, uh, I would have had to take seven academic classes that year. I would have had to take two in the mail. And then I think I had to like sign something to say that I would take two summer classes in the summer. And that was all just to be able to, to graduate and walk in 2004 on schedule. Yeah. And that for a guy that didn't, you know, love school. That just seems crazy. So I took kind of stock of where it was and what I wanted to do and came up with this, you know, recording workshop plan. And it just seemed simple. It just seemed like the, the thing to do was get my GED and, and do that. So yeah. that's, that's how I ended up there. Hmm. Things are better now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still have, you know, you know, I wouldn't call myself, uh, I, I don't go to therapy. I don't, uh, I'm not on any medication, but I, I have a normal person level of anxiety about things. But from where I was to where I am now, yeah, yeah. Light That's years cool. better. Well, for those listening, you have not accidentally clicked onto the Mark Marin podcast. You're still listening to the <laughs> Escape Order. Yeah. Um, uh, future guest for that show, certainly. Um, yeah, so, but do you think in a way that, that did that inform your comedy or that just happened to be something that happened to you and that's just, you know, part of your being? I think, yeah, more part of my being. I mean, I, it absolutely shaped who I am, but uh, in terms of it influencing my comedy directly, uh, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I've talked about it a few times. I've done at great length. Um, but yeah, I think it's more just a part of who I am than a part of my comedy. So how long between um, winning the Funniest Birds in Cincinnati, you said it was a couple of years before you really decided this has to be it. How, how long a period was that? Is it three or four years, you reckon? Uh, between what? I'm sorry. Be- between winning the Funniest Birds in Cincinnati and then going full bore uh, being a comedian. Uh, yeah, probably three or four years. I think after winning the funniest person in Cincinnati contest, it was just kind of like, oh, I could do this, and I did it very passively. I think it's very easy to do comedy very passively in oh, Cincinnati, yeah. just be, <laughs> by nature of how it's built. There's right, just right. not a lot of stage time. Yep. Um, so you you can do it like once a week, and you're doing it just as much as everybody else in town. So it feels like you're working as hard as you can. And you are. I mean, it's not saying that people there aren't working hard. I think Cincinnati has a great comedy scene, but it's just, uh, it's easy to not work as hard as you could be working in Cincinnati. Oh, so yeah, it I mean, took me yeah. a while to feel like uh, I, something needed to change, and a, and a few things in my in my life happened. I had a friend pass away that kind of put a, thing, a lot of things in perspective, and that's when I decided to you know, really take it by the horns and see what I could could do with all of this. Cool. And so um, at this point, I guess you're, um, you said you're living in Cincinnati now, but until you go to New York. But uh, the kind of gigs now you're getting, you're, uh, you're featuring a lot, I guess, right? 
uh, on my way to New York, is where I am now. No, no, but I mean, are you uh, you're you're featuring a lot uh, at this point in your career? I take I, I see you, yeah, uh, going all over yeah. the Midwest. Yeah, uh, pretty much full time uh, featuring, and uh, I've started to headline a little bit at a few clubs, and that's I've started doing colleges. And, oh, there you uh, go. I I seem to be in a shift more towards headlining that weird kind of area. Where you are between every step, between acting and featuring, between featuring and headlining, yeah, headlining in theaters. You know, I'm just in that weird transitional stage. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You'll have a. I, it, it seems to me like you'll have a lot more experience under your belt when you hit New York, because um, you know, having played in front of a lot of different audiences in the Midwest, um, you know, and, and you know, like featuring and headlining will probably you know give you a, a bit of a leg up there in the Big Apple. I think so. I think uh, there's going to be an initial hit to starting over. Uh, I tell people that move to Chicago that is that. I mean, I'm going to have to start over, but you start over more in the, within the hierarchy of things. Not with you go, you enter with the ability that you have. So I feel confident and comfortable, you know, that I'm good enough at comedy to to at least succeed a little bit there. But uh, I'm definitely there's definitely going to be a, a period where it's not going to be a ton of fun, just kind of breaking in and introducing myself to people and getting people to listen to what I'm saying and showing that, I'm, that I am competent and, and good at this. Yeah. Uh, do you still think you'll try to, you know, uh, tour outside of New York? Cause some guys go to New York and they just stay focused on New York. Other guys, uh, this guy, Paul Hooper, I know, I think he's friendly with Sam and those guys. Uh, he, he knows. Yeah. He, um, he can't stand being in the same place for more than a week. He has to tour. He'll, he'll do like five shows in New York and then on the weekend, yes, he's got to get out of town and go somewhere. You think you'll be like mm-hmm. that or you, you think you'll just try to settle in for New York and kind of, you know, hit the, hit um, as many clubs as you can. I will, I, I'll try and find that happy medium, I think, uh, a little bit of what I tried to do in Chicago. I think you need to be present in the city to kind of make it worth your while. Makes uh, sense, yeah. I think you just have to be around and kind of impose yourself on the people there. And I know, I, I, know, I know guys that have moved to New York and that have spent almost all of their time out touring on the road, and it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I know some that have moved away because uh, you're just paying New York prices to never be there. So oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to cut it back a little bit and try and, you know, focus a lot of my energy into the city. But I also want to maintain the relationships that I've built with clubs in the Midwest. And my girlfriend is still going to be living in Cincinnati, so I'll be coming okay. back for that. Um, so it's, it'll be a struggle to find that, that happy medium, but I am going to definitely try it and keep touring, but also kind of grind and, you know, give New York a real go. Cool. So the CD is recording at the end of January, and then what are you looking at for a release date? Sometime in the spring? Uh, yeah, sometime in the spring. Uh, I'm trying to figure all that out uh, right now. I've decided to uh, put it out on my own, and I want to uh, make it available only for downloads through my website. I don't want to put it on iTunes or go through a label, and uh, I'm trying to uh, find someone to build me a uh, new website that will be capable of doing that. Uh-huh. So a lot of it is dependent on that. But uh, hopefully, yeah, probably I want to say March or April. Ideally. Okay. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, sounds like things are going good for you and folks out there uh, across America and around the world, if you have a chance to see Alex Stone, you should do so. Highly recommended. All right. All right, man. Well, and uh, I'll try to make that to the recording uh, if we can, depends what we got going on uh, back here at, uh, on the mothership. And uh, okay. we'll go. Well, yeah, there. hopefully, I'll, I'll see you out there. Thanks for Great, uh, having me out. Okay, well, uh, good talking to you, Alex. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye.
again to Alex Stone for being on the show. You can catch Alex January 29th through the 31st in Cincinnati at Gobana's Comedy Club, recording his first album, so you can have your laughs uh, recorded on CD. Well, it's not going to be on CD. I guess it's going to be just a, a download only, but if you can have your laughs preserved digitally for the ages. Uh, if you go check him out there. And then if you want to see, if you're not in Cincinnati, you want to see where Alex is going to be, go to alexstonecomedy.com. He does have some dates in Chicago in March. He's doing a couple colleges in April, and I'm sure he'll be filling in some dates along the way as well. So if you have a chance to see this man, do go see him. PF Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Dan and Megan's podcast uh, about the TV series Arrow, I believe, is up and running out. We will have a link on the Podbean page. So as always, kids, if you're listening to this any other way than through the Podbean site, go to pfradio.podbean.com, and that'll have the links to all the stuff we talked about here on the show, Alex's website, all that fun stuff. And uh, you may even be able to find a way, uh, once you get to the Arrow podcast page, uh, you may even be able to be a guest on there looking for, for folks to talk about the show. So uh, maybe you can find your way into that. All right, so Dan designed the logo for us, original music uh, composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Like PS Tape Recorder on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. And I believe that is all the business we have uh, for today. Other than to say, so long and thanks for listening.